Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Moon, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Darren, I'm good. I'm young. Um, I'm, I'm scrappy. I'm hungry. I'm a little like my country. Um, <laughs> how are you, Darren? I- and you're not going to gonna waste your shot, no? No, I am going to waste my shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, how, how, as list- how, how are you? I'm good. As listeners may have deduced, we are talking about a new entry on the 250, which came shining in at number 19, has since fallen to number 20. It is Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2015 musical, 2016 stage performance of said musical, 2020 Disney Plus streaming service release of the staging of the musical. It is Hamilton, an American musical. And to join us for this discussion, we have a wonderful guest. We have Deirdre Malumbi from Entertainment.ie. How are you, Deirdre? I am very well, thank you. And thank you guys so much for having me. This is really, really exciting. I was just saying before we started recording there, I haven't done a podcast in like a really long time. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, we're we're proper professional outfit. We will have you know here. We had absolutely no hijinks during the setup and preparation for this podcast. <laughs> well, I, I mean, no more, no more than like some some of some of iTunes' most successful podcasts are a complete disaster, like in twenty twenty, because they've 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 had to kind of they've had to explain like to they've had to explain to Conan O'Brien, for example, how a podcast works. Although he's been doing one for two years. Um, so, yeah. So we, we shouldn't feel too bad. We shouldn't feel too bad at all. Now, just a little bit of context, because this is kind of interesting. We are an Irish podcast, and I suspect that's going to show. Because I think that maybe for many of us, or certainly for myself and Andrew, I'm not necessarily aware that Hamilton was on our radar kind of before the release of this movie on streaming back in early July on Disney+. Really? Plus. Um, well, I was aware of it. I just hadn't actually listened to it. Right. Okay. Had you listened to it? Well, yeah, because I, I I know people who were who were born after nineteen eighty two, and and they they're they're really into this. Um, All right. Like some some of my best friends um, are are, oh. are are part of that group. Now, now I suppose I suppose I'll I'll reserve any any comment on on kind of my own feelings about it prior to this. But yeah, I I feel I feel like. Hamilton is something very zeitgeisty, no? Uh, yes, well, this this is one of the big debates and kind of discussions around it is the idea of kind of whether it is a musical, whether it's an artifact that speaks to like 2015, 2016, whether it's a relic of, say, the Obama White House in particular, because I think Lin-Manuel Miranda first performed songs from it at the Obama White House back in 2009 as kind of proof of concept when he was working on what would become Hamilton as a kind of, I believe he wanted to design it as a mixtape built around the biography of Alexander Hamilton as well, uh, written by, I believe, Ron Chernow as the is the writer who wrote that biography right. and it kind of it emerged on stage it was performed in 2015 moved to broadway became a huge smash sensation it was famously the first broadway play to have ticket prices reach over one thousand dollars on the first hand market uh beating the record i think that was, was previously set by schoolhouse rock um which is quite impressive as well it was there are it key- makes um it makes disney plus seem cheap Oh, it does. Well, uh, Disney, please, <laughs> Disney Plus got a very, very, very good deal on this. They only paid $75 million for it, but we'll probably come back to those particulars uh, as well. But, <laughs> well, but yeah, like for anyone complaining about like, why do I have to get Disney Plus to watch, to, to watch these things that I used to be able to see on Netflix? 
Well, now you can watch this like one thousand dollar show, <laughs> for, <laughs> and and with the cast that everybody likes. But D, what about yourself? You are from from what what I, I'm familiar of your reaction to Hamilton. You are a big fan. Had you a familiarity with it before you saw the the kind of the feature film before you saw the version that was released on Disney? Plus? I mean, I gotta be honest. I I never actually saw this on the stage, but I certainly do remember back in 2015 and 2016 when it just kind of exploded. It was the show that everyone was talking about and like for me kind of over the years the last show that I could remember before this exploding to that extent would probably be you know Wicked with Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth and that show similarly shot those two um, actresses to complete stardom now people would probably know Adina Menzel best for um, you know Frozen but before that she did Wicked and then Rent would have been another kind of big Broadway production she was involved with but I never sh- saw it on the stage purely for the fact that my tendency with Broadway musicals is to wait until they're no longer popular so that I can afford tickets to them <laughs> because like that's, when I was that's my attitude to Beluga Cav- Caviar as well <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of or I don't like I want to I want to like get a Rolls Royce eventually but just like when people aren't so into them yeah um sorry I mean it is but it is kind of interesting uh like you were saying there Darren about how like just ridiculously expensive tickets for Hamilton were like becoming and it really got quite a reputation for that people just couldn't get tickets for it and it had this kind of air prestige you know only you kind of you know if you had like kind of money in your pocket could you go see it and I think that the whole idea with it coming to Disney plus now is that it is accessible to everyone except of course there's also the irony of well it's accessible to everyone with the Disney plus account um so that'd be kind of my historical relationship with it anyway like I didn't I know that there are a lot of you know musical lovers who will say listen to the soundtrack before they see a show I didn't really have any exposition to it to be honest until I saw it um you know as a screener to review it on Disney plus so yeah I'm kind of in the same boat as well. I would have had absolutely no exposure to it outside of knowing that it was a thing that was intensely popular and that generated a certain amount of discourse around it. That discourse has come back and we'll probably talk about the discourse kind of later on. But it was very much, it was a pop culture kind of monument. It's interesting that you mentioned it coming on Disney Plus and Andrew joking that, you know, an eight euro Disney Plus subscription is a much more affordable way to see it than a $1,150 premiere seat at the height of the show's popularity. And I believe booked out years in advance as well. And again, if you wanted to be cynical now, the narrative that's come out about the release on Disney Plus is that originally Disney bought the the show and uh, this this version of the show that people have watched was filmed um in on the 45th Street Theater I think in um back in June 2016 it was towards the end of the original run with the original cast I believe most of the cast cycled out a week after it was filmed um it the original plan was it was shot over a Sunday matinee a Tuesday evening show And also, and we'll probably talk about this in terms of filmmaking, a lot of the close-ups were actually filmed on stage during off time. So they brought the cast back in and performed, I think, between 13 and 16 of the 40-odd numbers with the cameras moving on stage as well to get a bit of intimacy there as well. And again, one of the big debates about it is whether or not it's a movie. And we'll probably come back to that discussion of whether or not Hamilton is actually a movie. That recurring debate debate on the 250. Have what we just watched. Is what we just watched actually a movie? 
Um, it's, it's part of the broader debate of like, why are we doing this? <laughs> yes, yes, it is in this existential sense. Uh, but it yeah. is kind of it is it is notable that if you wanted to be cynical, right, you would say that Disney had originally planned for a theatrical release for Hamilton in I think October 2021, and the plan was presumably to use that as a launching pad to the Oscars, um, hoping to get some success, some nostalgic kind of success off the back of that. It was released on streaming in July 2020, and. You know, the narrative around that from Disney Plus, the narrative from Lin-Manuel Miranda is that, well, look, we were giving it to people when they needed something to kind of delve into. We were offering the recreation of communal experience, you know, a night at the theater, quite literally, um, at a time when people felt isolated and alone. If you were being cynical, you would observe that they also waited until Broadway had closed and people could no longer pay those thousand dollar ticket prices to see it on stage, where that exclusivity had kind of gone. And basically releasing it on streaming was a way to boost uh, Disney Plus's membership. Worth noting as well, if you wanted to be extremely, extremely cynical, which we are not on this podcast, but let's pretend that we are. You could also point out that the week-long free subscription to Disney+, Plus, the trial membership, conveniently lapsed in June, uh, shortly before this was released as well, to prevent people from getting a trial membership, watching Hamilton and leaving as well. Is your, um, and it's your version of cynicism that, like, Disney is a business and money. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, they're not, they're not out there working for the general good of mankind, yeah, how crazy that I is. they're Imagineers. <laughs> <laughs> Building a better Creating world. beautiful dreams. Some... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a small world after all is what they were doing but yeah no it, it is kind of interesting in that sense it's notable again in the context of that that like it, this is responsible for what have been a series of blockbuster streaming weekends um in particular hamilton saw record uh, membership of disney plus record signups record subscriptions and also then that trickled down you saw kind of record downloading of the soundtracks as well and maybe we'll talk about some of the particular songs that are either interesting or entirely predictable as to what are the most popular songs on the soundtrack according to stream uh, streaming uh, but even outside of that I've in terms of had you heard this soundtrack before, Dan? No, no, I had not. I, I had been in a, a car various times with various people where they're like, hey, I'm going to put on the Hamilton soundtrack. And I, I, I was kind of, I, I was kind of like, this, so this is like from the Broadway play. And I got like, if somebody is big into theater, they might be into that. But the, the idea of somebody who likes hip hop kind of putting this on, when you could put on any, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, um, I mean, I think. They, uh, they, sorry. No, I was just going to ask. I think that the soundtrack as an experience is kind of an experience in and of itself. Because actually, to prepare for this podcast, I listened to it through yesterday, and it does feel like you're kind of experiencing it all over again. I know you don't have the visuals, but because the musical is mm. itself is what you call a sung through musical, which is when all the dialogue, everything right. is sung or wrapped through as the case is in this soundtrack. It, it does make one coherent story, which I think is very interesting. And I think that that would be another reason why the soundtrack is so popular, because it's either before this obviously came out, it was an option for people to listen to it and kind of experience without seeing the show. And then for people who had already seen it, it was a way for them to kind of live it through again. Yeah, it, it's a kind of, it's a kind of music that you really have to pay attention to. <laughs> and, um, like, it's not something that you kind of sort of play in the background, I guess. And it's also not something that you, I guess, put on shuffle 
Um, <laughs> yes, so... I imagine that Hamilton on shuffle is a very different experience. It is very exposition heavy. As Dee mentioned, it is pretty much kind of a sung through musical. It is the entire plot of story of the musical uh, condensed down and sort of played this as is... rap music. Sorry, this Andrew? is exposition week at the 250. We're, we're also <laughs> recording another uh, podcast later this evening, which, which, um, which, which, is, which is very much in the uh, Tell Don't Show um, uh, school, kind of school of, of, of filmmaking. Yeah. All right, then. And actually, that that's a nice kind of uh, segue there in terms of, so D, just to kind of get us kind of started on this, um, is Hamilton... The version that was released on Disney Plus, is it a movie? Do you think it is a movie? Does it count as a narrative feature? Because um, there is a lot of debate about this. There's a discussion about, you know, obviously the Academy have ruled that it's ineligible. They've argued that it's equivalent to a documentary or a kind of a live performance recorded, even though it's a constituent, it's three constituent performances edited together. Do you consider this a movie? Um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Oscars there because I do remember there being a bit of outrage about the fact that it wasn't <laughs> eligible for uh, the Oscars. Although it did emerge slightly later that it would be eligible for uh, the enemy, uh, the Emmys rather, uh, being a kind of televised production on that basis and the fact that it is a filmed uh, theater performance. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely rail about this for a while. It's I don't think it's really a movie. I think that it's a filmed theater production. I have to be honest. And as a movie, I and I know that we'll we'll get into the questions of should it be on IMDb's top 250, but I find it kind of extraordinary that it is up there, you know, alongside, you know, 12 Angry Men and The Dark Knight and The Godfather, you know, being considered along those kind of rankings. I just think that it's a bit kind of um, crazy because ultimately as a movie, it doesn't really sit particularly well. I don't think that the, I think that Thomas Kale, the director, did the best possible job he could do and I think it was the best possible job he could do because if you're watching it as a movie in terms of editing in terms of shot composition it doesn't always make sense and it never really accomplishes that balance that you need to capture the staging of a production through filming because like there aren't any particularly like impressive close-ups you've got the kind of wider shots but then you're missing elements of the choreography there's just a sense of balance that I felt that it didn't quite get as a movie now watching it I still thought it was an absolutely terrific production I thought the performances were beautiful the music the emotion everything was there and I think it's everything like what I said in my review of it was that it's everything fans could want because you can't really expect for it to be a great movie as well, because it was never that in the first place. They're trying to meld, you know, a theater production, something that is staged, made for a stage, into something that is like all based around shot by shot composition. It just it just never really became a movie, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think there's actually something very interesting in that. I think it's it's something that I think you know, we're going to talk in a moment about whether or not it belongs on a list of the, two, you know, the 250 greatest movies ever made and stuff like that. But I think that there is something fascinating in what it is trying to do in that it is, 
not trying to be a movie, I would argue. It is trying to be, in inverted commas, an experience. It's trying to capture a sense of what it is like to have seen Hamilton, you know, in a crowded theatre with a crowd of fans. Because, like, the wide shots include the audience, the soundtrack includes the audience cheering and laughing. Even the sequences that you know from the positions of the camera had to have been shot when the audiences weren't, the audience wasn't there, for example. You have things like including an introduction from Jonathan Groff in character as King George the third telling you to turn off your cell phones you have even an intermission in the middle of the show which is designed to replicate the experience of actually going to a theater except it's one minute so it's much shorter but the idea is that you sitting at home watching this on a streaming service you're not necessarily getting you know a narrative experience of hamilton you are not seeing a movie hamilton you are seeing an attempted approximation or kind of you know simulation of what it might have been like to be in a theater watching Hamilton, which I find absolutely fascinating. I find it fascinating on a number of levels, in large part because, you know, you look at what Hollywood has been trying to do in recent years, where you see, like, cinemas becoming increasingly dependent on stuff like event cinema, or you see mm. the emergence of, like, more and more concert films, like, say, Western Stars, the Bruce Springsteen movie that was out recently, for example, or even, say, the climax of um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is built on, like, a shot-for-shot recreation of Wembley, it's like, we will put you in Wembley in Live Aid, and that will be the climax of our movie. Didn't As they, if to re- Didn't they do a um, Peter Pan with Christopher Walken? For television, the, yes, ABC For did, television, yes. yeah. yeah. Like, I and imagine I mean, that, that, that was kind of, like, like, I haven't seen that, but I imagine it was kind of a similar, a similar feel. What this reminded me of is, if, if you've ever kind of been in a, in a West London hotel room, You'll sometimes walk, like walk into the room, and they'll have like this kind of promo for the hotel, but also for like shows. Will they show you like a little bit from The Lion King, or like Warhorse <laughs> or something like that? Uh, but this is like the the feature length version of that promo, kind of. But but no no I I do I do agree with 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 D that like like it's it it's kind of like as much as you could want, you know, yeah. out of what it is. Um, yeah. and that it does that very well, but it's it's yeah it's it's it doesn't it doesn't feel like a movie at all, Cons- con- considering the IMDb kind of um, excludes a lot of things. Yeah, like, like documentaries, for example, yeah. which this would arguably fall under. Short films, for example, you know, which this doesn't fall under. You know that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that it's included. I guess. I mean, what I do find kind of interesting, though, is like as a cultural experience, you have this idea that cinema has been pushing this idea of how it competes with streaming, which, again, is similar to what cinema's always done. It's how do we compete with television? We offer CinemaScope, which is this widescreen experience, which you can only get in a cinema and can't get on television. And what you have recently is you have cinema doing stuff like event cinema, for example, and, and those examples I gave with like Bohemian Rhapsody, where cinema's like, look, you get this kind of simulation of massive kind of crowd communal experiences, which you can't get on streaming, which which is but kind of the service that you're getting at the time. But then you have though, streaming because... coming along. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's just have... the, like the, the context has changed, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah like that, how, that's exactly it's like, it. Would you like to go to the theater, but not well, have somebody can't. cough on you? Yeah. <laughs> um, not have Jonathan Groff spit on you. Um, yeah, let's, re- yeah. let's really hope Jonathan Groff doesn't have coronavirus, because um, otherwise the rest that's of the That's for cast... the 4D experience. Yeah, that, that's that's worth your $1,000 ex- ticket. I went, to, I went to Hamilton and I got coronavirus off Jonathan Groff. Um, but yes, no, I, I kind of, I think that there is something in that. I find it absolutely fascinating that like cinema has been chasing this dragon 
like for years and years and years. And Disney Plus, this streaming service, comes along and just happens through perfect timing. Because, I mean, I think both Dee and Andrew suggested this is not actually what a movie version of Hamilton would look like. Ironically, what a movie version of Lin-Manuel Miranda musical would look like is In the Heights, which is from Warner Brothers and which has been pushed back because of the coronavirus. Uh, Ironically, also starring Anthony Ramos and won't see released this year. Um, But that is what a Lin-Manuel Miranda movie would look like. This is like a simulation of theatre, of community experience, and you watch it by yourself or you watch it with your immediate family in a small room on a big screen uh, with a sound, you know, by yourself. You are alone with everybody, which I find absolutely fascinating. I find that kind of one of the great, like... Maybe you're waking up at five in the morning and watching this for a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you're also in a theater. Specific experience. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but I I do find I do find something kind of interesting. I find it like as far as like an artifact of 2020 goes, I find that that like that's something that speaks to Hamilton as a cultural phenomenon. Is the idea that it's like the big breakout blockbuster of the summer. Is it is not even a real movie, but basically gives you the sensation of sitting in a theater with other people, but which you mostly watch by yourself in the dark. I find that kind of like a really weird and very compelling and very specific like 2020 vibe to get from a movie. Just to pick up on something that you were saying there about event cinema, that's exactly what I was thinking as I was watching this. But I, I just felt like Hamilton. And I mean, I think it is owing to the fact mostly that Thomas Kale directed both the movie version and the theater version and he doesn't come from a movie background necessarily i know that he's done um certain kind of productions since like fossey verdon which i think got like more acclaim not that hamilton hasn't obviously it's gotten loads and loads of acclaim but just that i think i read somewhere in the hollywood reporter they were talking about how thomas kale has kind of finessed his skills at working in that medium since But I think that in terms of this being event cinema, and like you said, the whole idea, and this is what Disney was kind of talking about. I remember even when the press release of Hamilton came out, it was all about it being an experience. And it's the best aspects of cinema, theater and streaming coming together. Um, If anything, it kind of, I think anyway, Hamilton shows that something's got to give. And in terms of that, it was cinema that have to give in the end because it's just not a movie in terms of streaming yeah it's available on the streaming platform obviously it's a filmed play but it's just not like i said it's not a movie <laughs> so the, the, the weird, the weird thing not. about it is it's like that often in theater they use multimedia so there, there, there could have been an opportunity. Obviously, they, this is just something they had in the back pocket. But if they wanted to do it properly, yeah. there were ways that they could have um, kind of done what they were kind of saying they would do, you know, about about creating something that was some sort of fusion between the theater experience and the cinema experience. They could have. But had... I, I don't think despite saying that that was what they wanted to do. I think no. what they wanted to do was to, to package the idea of you watching Hamilton in your home for eight euros. Yeah, you know? feel or you feel short changed a once in a if lifetime. it felt like a, cin- like, like a movie. Yeah, that's it, exactly. You'd be, you'd be like, this is something I pay $8 for, not $1,150 for. I have to commend Disney, by the way, in how easy it was for me to give them my money. <laughs> it was like email address, password, payment information. <laughs> like, and, and then, would you like to watch Hamilton? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was so, and, um, and, and like normally when we're watching a movie for this, 
we I have to ask Darren how do I watch this <laughs> I just looked up Hamilton and it, it, there was like a little box on the right hand side of Google saying hey you want to watch this and it's like I was like yes yes I would yeah like four seconds later <laughs> I was watching it <laughs> All right. Um, all right, then. So I think we're about ready to jump into the spoiler zone, talk about the, the whatever this is in a bit more depth. But before we do, three questions. So, Dee, to start us off, do you think that Hamilton belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I, I think I've fairly established that that's going to be a no <laughs> for me. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, no, 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 definitely not. But, like, it, and, and it, they, I... I, I think I think the fact that it's up so high is a kind of a it's a testament to one how much goodwill there is for this um uh this play and how much kind of cultural currency um it has even from people who who've who've never seen it but kind of you know um um have this interest in it anyway. And it's also testament to how strange the IMDb two fifty is. Um, <laughs> yes. That yeah. So no, no, it doesn't kind of belong to be um, on a list of the top two hundred and fifty movies of all time. But it like it, it's it's the IMDb two fifty. So. <laughs> so what you're gonna do? Yeah. Um, and how about you? And Dara? actually, interesting enough, I'm I'm gonna answer both yes and no, which I feel is appropriate with the question of is it a movie? Yes and no. Um, is it a mo? Is it does it appeal to twenty sixteen or twenty twenty? Yes and no. Uh, but I do actually like I I agree with everything that you you and D said. It is not technically a movie and therefore should probably not be on a list of the greatest movies of all time. However, I do also think that there is like one of the appeals one of the appeals of the IMDb list is the fact that it is dynamic and changing and that it's constantly evolving. And I like that you know as far as like capturing the surreal nature of twenty twenty on film. The fact that, like, this is the 19th or 20th best movie of all time, despite the fact that it, you know, isn't really a movie, was never actually released in cinemas, was recorded in 2016. Um, I feel that, like, that sort of, all that stuff kind of gelling together. And not only that, like, the content of it as well, the debate around it as well, it is a cultural artifact. It is something that is, you know, simultaneously kind of loved, but also treated as something to be dragged down. The fact that there's so much conversation about the fact that it, you know, at once seems almost out of date in the context of where we are in 2020 as compared to where we were in 2016, but also somehow engaged with that conversation anyway. I feel like there's enough going on there that I can justify including it on the list with an understanding that it probably won't be there forever. I think it's a nice conversation piece. I think that, you know, as something that kind of captures the moment and like the weirdness of like, you know, I mean, when we're talking to our kids about this, when we're talking to our kids about how weird 2020 was, this isn't even going to make like the top 100 well, items on the list. For your but kids, I kind of feel might. like that's fair. Um, <laughs> that's they, fair. Um, um, but like, this, this isn't... it does feel like. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, the, 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 the weirdness of it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not the new normal. It's the new weird. <laughs> where like yeah. strange things like this happen and this is just kind of like an example of it yeah yeah uh, this is how things are now this is how we live in 2020 i was just gonna add like when you think in terms of streaming it it's been all about hamilton and tiger king so yeah it's it's just all very weird and <laughs> it really is last dance as well i think was was True. the big one this year yeah um uh, this is the espn documentary on michael jordan and that was like a throwback to the 90s as well. 
So that doesn't even yeah. kind of belong to our time. It's just, it's all very <laughs> weird. It is. Uh, and again, like it's, it's worth noting that like our blockbusters this year, because obviously Tenant, as we're recording this, has finally acknowledged that it's not going to get released this year. Uh, but like our blockbusters this year have all been streaming related. You've had like Hulu emerge with record breaking weekends off the back of the release of Palm Springs. You've had Apple TV acknowledging record breaking weekends off the release of Greyhound, in which, you know, Apple TV streaming finally makes a pitch for your da, basically, is what Greyhound is. Uh, but you have this kind of Maybe sense your of... your da yeah. likes Troll too. Um, sorry, what is it? Trolls, Trolls World Tour. Trolls World Tour. Trolls World. Yeah, Trolls yeah. World. Yeah, Troll Two is a different movie. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. Very different movie. You don't want to end up on that one by accident. They're eating and them. Then sec- uh. <laughs> and then the second question, D. Would Hamilton be on your own personal list, like your own personal two hundred and fifty favorite movies in inverted commas ever? Well, no. I mean, look, I I did really really <laughs> like it, and watching it, I was like damn, I do wish I'd gotten to see this on the stage. But it's, and maybe, you know, at some point it'll be made into like a a real life movie, something like In the Heights or, you know, Les Mis a few years ago. But it's, as it exists in its current form, just no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have to admit, I actually, despite that, I think that this is probably a decent way of adapting it. I'm like, Hamilton, I'm not sure could work like a conventional screen musical. I can't like, it's very hard to imagine what it would look like apart from something like, say, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, um, in a sense that somebody trying to literally adapt it and then the result being kind of hideous, but also unable to look away from it. Like, do we think that there's a, there's a movie, a conventional movie of Hamilton to be made? Um, I do not like the song true musical <laughs> as as um I don't know how I as feel about it. like having seen having seen Hamilton I'm kind of like um I did enjoy it but I did I did wish at like lots of points that they would stop singing for just a second <laughs> and, um, let me catch up <laughs> yeah 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 because there was a lot in Can somebody it. just... The, like, yeah. yeah. Burr, can you just stop and just sort of outline, just introduce me properly to who these people are, um, please? Yeah. That would be very, very useful. Take a nice pause. <laughs> Less propulsive. <laughs> I mean, you also have to bear in mind that the last sung through musical that was adapted for a movie that really tried to do something oh radically God. different to the stage was Cats. And we all yeah. know how that worked out. <laughs> Yeah, um, I do love the idea of yeah, Cats and Hamilton being the evil twins of one another. So yes, I'm wondering, is, is like, are we going to be waiting for Hamilton the butthole cut at some point, basically? Um, I, that is the question. Um, um, but, but I could I could see it working as a movie. Yeah, because I mean, the whole idea is that, you know, when you look at the stage production, it is quite minimalistic in terms of the, the production and staging and the costume design and everything. Like you can afford to expand that world out. So I'd be interested mm. to see that. Um, obviously, you've got to have, you know, a phenomenal cast in it again. And I'm not sure if they would do an experiment like Les Mis with the whole live singing thing. I suppose that can be a bit, you know, hit or miss. Just don't cast Russell Crowe, I suppose. Um, but I think it could be interesting. Yeah, I, I would I would go see it. Russell Crowe right. is an actual singer in a band. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> crucially not in an opera no, troupe, no. to, be, to yeah. be clear. I mean, he has you, a kind of a you, niche. Hugh Jackman uh, closed, closed down Dublin when he came to sing. Um, yes, yes, he did. Yeah, um, It was pandemonium. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal 250, your own favorite 250, whatever this is? is? Uh, 
No, no. Like, like we, we've, um, we've covered musicals before, um, and I controversially thought that um, La La Land was uh, not the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, the, 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 I, 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 I think it was my favorite movie of the year. And everybody else hated it. Um, I like it. Yeah, no, it's not sorry, enough sorry. for you. <laughs> uh-huh. No, um, and 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 like I think if I were going to have a, to- a, a top two fifty of my own, I'd probably have some musicals in it. But it would be the likes of um, the um, uh, singing in rain and, um, and and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the, yeah, it, it it probably wouldn't be on mine. But I've I've biases yeah. like I, I I don't I don't much care for um, sung through musicals. Sung through musicals. Um, I don't like when movies are overly. Um, generally speaking, I don't like when movies are overly theatrical, um, and this is the most theatrical <laughs> movie. Um, and that it's literally filmed in a theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, no, probably probably not. But like, I'm I'm not. Um, yeah, I I I. This 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 is not. This is what movies are now. I guess <laughs> as a control case. Yeah. Yes. Um, I I I would agree with that. I it wouldn't be on my own personal list. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I like the weirdness of it as an artifact of this cultural moment. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack and discuss. That I'm really looking forward to. But no, certainly not one of my favorite movies of all time. Let alone probably it might make my top forty of the year. Uh, maybe he says. Uh, depending on how many movies are actually released in 2020. <laughs> Will there be 40 um, movies this year? <laughs> that is a question. Yeah, that is a question. A very tense Where question. is Scoob on your top 40? At the moment, it's actually probably still on there, to be fair. <laughs> I've actually managed to see, somehow I have, like, I've been keeping a track of the number of movies I've seen. And I, I don't know how this has happened, but I have managed to see 50 movies already this year and i think it's just all streaming a lot of netflix you know those midweek releases like fatal affair last week a lot of those it's not good (laughs) yeah how does it rank compared to 365 days that's the question that we really need to be asking here um but and final question then before we jump into the sports zone so having perhaps been a little bit you know harsh towards hamilton as it were uh, i like that that's our hashtag uh, harsh for hamilton um but would you recommend that listeners, if they have not seen Hamilton, if they pause the podcast, stay at home and stream it to a local device, is it worth their time? Dee? Oh, absolutely. I think that people will be really, really impressed by it. And it's interesting, Andrew, that you mentioned La La Land there, because I think that La La Land is a musical that people who don't like musicals like. And I think that Hamilton is... Maybe that's why. <laughs> and I think that <laughs> Hamilton is a musical that even if you don't like musicals you end up liking just it just seems to have caught everyone's like imagination and just it's it's just stirring something in everyone which i think is really extraordinary so i think on that basis people should see it i think that they will end up being really moved by it i also think that they will listen to this podcast and think we're being really harsh um i definitely (laughs) agree with that but <laughs> it's it's in the context of a top 250 movies podcast so come on you know top 20 movies like, like to put it in context like above the seven samurai like above the seven samurai that's where it landed um yeah what, what yeah. is it jaws isn't even on the list 
No, is Joel's it? isn't on the list. Um, to get back crazy. to regular 250 bugbears. <laughs> yeah. um, Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch it? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, 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 I would recommend people watch it. Um, um, and it doesn't matter whether, whether it belongs to be on, on this list or whether, whether it ought to be on, whether I'd put it on my list of top 250 movies. I would recommend it because I enjoyed I enjoyed it a lot. And I was super tired <laughs> watching this. <laughs> so, um, yeah. They, they... Having, having picked that 5 a.m. example just out of the air. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's my own fault. It's stupid. Um, um, yeah. They... they <laughs> Yeah, you you guys are going to be the Angelica and Eliza of the podcast. Obviously. Are you the Penny? Are you you're the Penny? Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I I would recommend as well. Again, I think it's, it is a cultural film. I think it's a wonderful artifact. I think it's a wonderful snapshot of how weird times are right now. Um, I think it's great fun. I think it's wonderfully well constructed. I think it's got a great energy to it as well. I think it's got verb. I think it's got energy. And again, everything that I've said has probably been echoed by, by people far more articulate, including, say, D, for example, and also Andrew, even his, his sleepiness. So yeah, I would entirely recommend it. With that in mind, then, we will jump neatly into the spoiler zone. Oh, uh... What do we do for this? <laughs> we normally do something kind of terrible and musical. Um, um... Oh, God, I don't want it to. No, look, Andrew, I, I think it's okay. I think our listeners understand that we can't continuously be churning out terrible, terrible musical content at incredibly short notice. And besides, like, if they don't like this particular episode, well, I guess... They'll be back this time next week. We'll provide them with the snark they seek. They'll be back. Wait and see. When we talk about JLo in Jilly, stream it now, watch at home, and then join us in the spoiler zone. And when push comes to shove, I will just go back to making puns, because I think that's quite enough. Da 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 Spoiler zone! Sorry, I feel that was the only song I could sing as a white person on the podcast, really. Um, but yes. So, D, what is Hamilton? Whether the show, the cultural phenomenon, or the not-quite-a-movie that we're discussing this evening, what is it about for you? Um, what is it about for me? I mean, like, so, not getting into it story-wise, but just how I myself interpreted it, um... And I know that it's been kind of, you know, in, being interpreted in a wide way of race at this point, because like, you know, it's been out for four or five years at this point. But I mean, like, I do think that what Lin-Manuel Miranda, who obviously stars in it and wrote it, kind of captured it best, describing it as American America then as told by America now, because it does have this interesting juxtaposition between America's past, you know, its history with America now and it's interesting as well how it kind of communicates the fact that has all that much really changed because it's looking at you know political relationships it's looking at betrayal in romantic relationships the idea of abandoning family for work getting older and you know perhaps wiser and there's not all that much that's different between um, then and now I also think that it's a really interesting text in regards to this whole idea of being a call to action you know you have that finale with Eliza who's been inspired by her 
husband to create this new life and she gains all this momentum setting up orphanages spreading the word about him to keep his legacy alive and it's I know that it's one of kind of life's big coincidences that this has ended up kind of holding a mirror up to the Black Lives Matter movement and this has happened with you know films in the past and everything but it is kind of a fascinating coincidence that it's ended up having this really apt timing and that that's how that's that's a way that people are kind of looking and interpreting it at the moment no no I, yeah i was just gonna it it it, it is very um timely uh, I, I suppose like in in an america where where um and and and, and this side of the pond as well where where statues are being taken down both by protesters and by kind of by the people who've 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 erected them um and 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 this kind of idea of um like depending on where you stand um it, there being a kind of anachronistic judgment of 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 history or the or the idea that actually um what what you're what you're getting now is a is 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 a fuller kind of like understanding of of history when you're when you're almost stripping some of the context away or does that make sense um well i mean i think one of the interesting again this is one of the big debates around the the show and again it's been around for five years so it's been argued from absolutely every point of view right and i mean one of the one of the big arguments that that kind of critics have of it and particularly in the context of something like black lives matter is the way in which the show for example completely erases or largely kind of like reduces to a couple of jokey references the idea of kind of slavery as a formative part of american identity you have for example george washington when you know they sing about how you know for black and white soldiers wonder is freedom at hand and george washington says not yet for example or you have the illusion with you know thomas jefferson when he's in his house and he, he references his kind of slave mistress just in passing or you have a kind of an aside about how the south uses slavery in order to kind of profit and so it doesn't have debts but you know the idea that like it's not something that the play deals with or confronts directly and so in doing so it kind of glosses over that you have this kind of big background this big argument around it you had like plays for example that have been written around it things like say uh what is it the haunting of lin-manuel miranda which was i think famously funded by tony morrison the author for example uh which is kind of argued that this is kind of like a you know ironically enough given the diversity of the casting a whitewashing of american history and then on the, you know to the point where i think that it's been pointed out that um hamilton himself while he was opposed to slavery academically he bought and sold slaves for other people um you know obviously the plantation in which he worked but when he married into the Schuler family the Schuler family were the largest slave owners um in the in new york to the point where i think that last month um, the uh, governor of New York actually had to take down a monument to them in Albany um, because they were slave owners. And, you know, the, the, the play never really addressing that. And the idea that even Hamilton himself, as he's presented in the play, is radically different from the historical figure in that Hamilton believed, for example, in in the idea of a president for life. He was highly elitist. He didn't believe that people could come from nowhere and kind of rise up um, because he didn't see himself as an immigrant. 
And then you have, on the other hand, you have a counter argument to that. And this is something I find very interesting, very appealing. I think that Wesley Morris kind of makes this point, I think, in the New York Times, um, that, you know, this is a rich tradition of kind of appropriation of kind of narratives of white American history that goes back to the Reconstruction era, people like W.E.B. Dubois, for example. Uh, But he compares it to what you see in the States now with the defacing of Confederate monuments. He thinks in particular, say, Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia, where, you know, a monument to Confederate generals has been painted over with Black Lives Matters and kind of had posters put up on it and had graffiti done on it that kind of reclaims it. So you have this idea of the founding fathers of America being played by minority actors who never would have had space on that stage before. I think Miranda himself has said, you know, I'm not a writer by choice. I don't want to be a composer or a songwriter. I want to be an actor. But I looked at what was happening on Broadway and I figured that the only way that I would actually get to be a performer outside of playing a supporting character in West Side Story was if I wrote these plays myself, if I wrote these musicals myself and cast myself in them. I agree with that. I'd agree with that because Lin Manuel Miranda is not particularly good in this. <laughs> like he is the <laughs> Whoa. No, but like he is the star of the show and he is quite right that if he didn't write his own play that he wouldn't be cast <laughs> um as as the ma- main person because the 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 actors are fantastic in this and Lin Manuel Miranda is extremely talented and extraordinary but the 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 he is he is bang on the money with that and and, uh, like i i I understand like the that that point about him wanting to be a um not wanting to be a writer and wanting to be a performer but i think if you compare his performance kind of objectively to the other people in this play to say david diggs for example or even chris jackson jonathan groff um leslie odom jr for example and they're all a top drawer you you look at lin-manuel miranda he looks really tired because he's had to do all of this work (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's the director and he's the writer and he's the actor and you can see this big kind of uh you know uh circles under his eyes like and understandably so because um well, and, I mean, like, the you big can't be angry at because him. they've been doing it for two years at this point. Yeah, yeah. no, and you you can't be annoyed at him because, like, if I if if <laughs> like being it, it it's it must be very difficult to kind of relax in a performance when it's also your production. You know, um, yeah. he he probably finds it difficult to cut. To, I, well, I don't know anyway. No, I, I, I just thought um, I don't I, I don't want to be harsh on on in the Man, Manuel Miranda because I genuinely do think he is fantastic, but um, no, yeah, there, there's definitely something to him saying that. But it is kind of interesting too because you know this whole idea of um, he kind of having you know the I can't remember what you call it the three pronged threat or whatever the fact that like he can sing, he can act, and then he can write as well. But I think that actually it's his skills as a writer that have gotten him the furthest. You know, obviously he wrote the songs, uh, lyrics and book for Hamilton. And um, he did the same for In the Heights before that. And then Disney since, you know, obviously hired him to work on the soundtrack for Moana. He'll also be working on the uh, live action remake of 
The Little Mermaid. Whereas in terms of acting, we haven't really seen him do a whole lot outside of Hamilton. Probably his biggest screen credit would be Mary Poppins Returns, which he did get, you know, a Golden Globe nomination for. But, you know, you compare that performance to, you know, the Dick Dick Van Van Dyke Dyke character that, you know, that kind of character was originally based off and it completely pales in comparison. But I mean, like I've I've talked about this with people before in terms of like his performances, Hamilton and his singing abilities aren't particularly strong. And I do think that that kind of comes out in Hamilton. Also, the fact that he raps a lot of his lines. But I did think his performance as Hamilton was rather good because, I mean, you could tell that he knew this character inside and out and that you know he he was living this character and another thing that I liked about his performance was that he didn't necessarily make Hamilton a very likable guy you know because he is quite weaselly he's quite manipulative you know he cheats on his wife and everything he's not a particularly nice guy a lot of the time um but Miranda I thought really brought that to life quite beautifully and by the end when like I mentioned before you do see him kind of getting into that older and wiser Hamilton you do your heart does go out to him and everything um but it will be interesting to see kind of what direction like Miranda's career goes in next because I think even for he's going to have a role in in the heights but my understanding is it's quite a small role at that it's almost cameo like or something yeah it's not going to be the same role that he played on stage because he did play a I don't like in in terms of the treatment of fidelity like obviously like we don't want um kind of our culture to be too moralizing either but there there were there was a there was a the, I felt like the way the way they got that across was very sort of like boyish and kind of like it almost kind of at some point reminded me of Shaggy's It Wasn't Me. Although, of course, like <laughs> the whole point of his pamphlet was like, it definitely was me. I did do all these things. Um, but 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 it was kind of like. Um, you thought you saw me on the counter. You definitely did. Yeah, yeah. Then you saw me in the shower. You definitely did. <laughs> yeah, um. yeah. And her husband was aware of it. <laughs> it was definitely me. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, the the. the I I I found I found that kind of strange. It 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 was kind of it it felt like it felt like an R Kelly song, kind of you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Not no no. I of course all of the things we know about R Kelly now. Um. They, 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 not not. What I said was it, it seemed like an R Kelly song rather than an R Kelly reality. Um. Yeah. Um, I, I I appreciate that reference. My 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 dated. We're recording this in 2016. Um, in fair, in yes, fairness, when, the when, title of sorry. the song "Say No to This" it does kind of sound like it could be a Shaggy or or Kelly song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little bit like a George George H W Bush administration song, you know. Um, but. I, <laughs> I do think that there is kind of, you know, winners don't say yes to infidelity, apparently, is, is the kind of context that we get from there. I do think that there is something kind of in that. I find that there's something fascinating in that because I think that, like, to talk a little bit about the story of Hamilton and the structure of Hamilton, which we, we probably haven't done so far. But, like, I like that the the play obviously, like, compares and contrasts Aaron Burr and Hamilton throughout. And like consistently throughout, we are meant to side with Hamilton. And again, there's lots, the play is, or the the musical is written in such a way that there's a lot of kind of space there in which you can interpret various things. And again, one of the things I think that the, you know, the the musical does really well is it blends the personal and political. So the idea is that, you know, you have, say, Aaron Burr's wonderful song, you know, I Can Wait, 
um, which, you know, has been read by many people as an allegory for an experience of like, you know, minorities kind of waiting for their chance, you know, their shot at being kind of at getting the respect that they deserve. Um, and again, the idea of this as an Obama administration musical, which we'll probably talk about in a moment. But like throughout, you have this idea that Burr is second to Hamilton. And the reason why Burr is second to Hamilton is because he waits. It's because he uses his judgment. It's because he's patient, he's considerate, and he thinks carefully about what he does. Whereas Hamilton is impulsive. And that's fantastic and great. Yeah, what um, I quite like, sorry. what I quite like about the, the, you know, the Reynolds pamphlet moment is that it actually manages to flip that rather cleverly because you have the contrast with earlier um, in the in the musical where Burr has explained that he's actually in love with Theodoria, who is married to a British officer. And he's not going to run away with her and he's not going to have an affair with her. He's going to wait for her to leave her husband and do it properly. And then they're going to start a family together. He has the patience to wait for her. Whereas on the other hand, you have Hamilton quite literally jumping into that situation without any forethought or consideration and it coming back to destroy him. And the idea, again, that wonderful kind of tragedy that you have, which is that, you know, and quite literally in the Hurricane song, you have him explaining at every point in Hamilton's life, he has gotten away with whatever he's doing because he's been very good at explaining it to people, writing about it and sending it out to the world. And so you have this wonderful situation where that strength becomes a weakness and that point of parallel between the two favors Burr over Hamilton. So I actually quite like the structuring of that as a personal failure for for Hamilton. I think it works remarkably well. I think it's very clever in terms of what the what the story is doing. Because it, yeah, it's his downfall that he forgot that he had given her an extra key. Um, no, um, the 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 thing the thing that struck me was 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 kind of how it maybe plays into the debate in 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 um in America at the moment, kind of as regards um um the kind of uh, polarization I suppose in 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 America in terms of obviously like I'm not I'm not I'm not qualified to speak about this, but the idea the uh, the idea in some um circles that uh, um uh, that there's a worry that if if um if people on either side play their card too strongly it's just going to kind of um uh you know the, with with the the idea that that too much progress too soon there will be like some sort of a, a a backlash like you see with trump i i'm not entirely sure that like having sex with another man's wife and paying him a thousand dollars for the privilege is progress though. no 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 i <laughs> i i'm i mean i mean in terms of the sorry 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 i was kind of more going back to the the distinction between uh burr, burr and, hamilton. And, and 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 hamilton what about yourself though in terms of so um in terms of say hamilton and kind of and kind of what's about well, we kind of alluded to it there that that idea that you know it is been discussed as a an obama era musical and again premiering at the obama white house launching in 2015 i think it's been described as you know a phenomenon similar to what camelot was for the kennedy era you know where when kennedy died um jackie would talk about how he'd go to his study and he'd listen to camelot and imagine a better future and as a result the the camelot the musical became an embodiment of the kennedy era there's a discussion or an argument that's been had about whether or not Hamilton can be seen as kind of a monument to the Obama era. And I mean, it's very transparently, you know, in some ways alluding to that. Like you have this idea of, you know, the founding father without a father who, you know, 
got where he got a much he got that much farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter you know that sort of stuff which is very much the iconography of obama Cruci- the idea of obama crucially sorry, ahead, not Andrew. an immigrant <laughs> Yes, you're, yes. Uh, you're not some, a birther, no? I'm not a birther. Somebody who, okay, to put it another way, like Lin-Manuel Miranda himself, somebody who came to the mainland from an island is probably the best way to phrase that. Then. Right. But the idea of somebody who came from the outside in, basically, um, and who established themselves as an outsider, whether because of their background um, or because of their race, and managing to work their way up to the top and making arguments that were based on policy. And again, this idea, you know, the image of Obama as a policy wonk. And Hamilton is a musical that is built around the foundation of the U.S. tax, co- you know, sorry, financial system. Like, it's very much a wonky policy musical as far as these things go. An idea that, you know, Hamilton embodies uh, the idea of the, the romantic fantasy of the Obama era presidency, I think, to an extent. And again, there's arguments about, like, its use of diversity in that sense where diversity is arguably, like, there's a sense of, well, we've arrived. We have a diverse cast. We don't have to talk about how diverse it is because it is diverse and that's fantastic of itself. So let's actually have debates about things like the spending of money and the allocation of resources. And again, I think it's been argued that you could read the uh, debates between, say, Jefferson and Hamilton as, you know, allegories for what was happening in the Democratic Party, where you had like the debates between, say, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in 2016, where it's like, what does a progressive tax policy look like? How much do we burden people with debts to help a wider community? So, I mean, do we think that Hamilton is an Obama era artifact? Do we think that it very much that it was more or less relevant in 2015 than it is in 2020? It's kind of I think that it's kind of a challenging question. And this is why I like my tendency is to just approach movies as movies. I don't really end up getting that much into kind of the political and historical context in which they're produced, although I have ended up doing this for say you know films that were based in the McCarthy era just because it's everywhere you know this was a commentary on McCarthyism you know that's always very strong with um, you know movies like High Noon and stuff like that Um, but I think it's kind of I do think that that interpretation and that reading of it is certainly there and applicable if you want to um, read it as such like you know I uh, the thing that stands out to me about Hamilton is um, as I mentioned before well one of the things that stands out is that call to action at the end and the way that um, it has been released in kind of the current era is people can see that as a kind of call for the whole Black Lives Matter movement and now it's time to take action you know but like you said there it's also uh, it, it was also produced in kind of 2015 to 2016 the Obama era so that call to action in that kind of context can be read as like you know a hopeful message and like look at how far we come and look at the representation and you know everything that's going on on stage and everything so it can be read in that kind of much more optimistic way as opposed to there is so much more work to be done as I think it would be read now so yeah like I said I think that both of those interpretations would slightly be there but again it's just it's all about how Hamilton is just existing in this really weird time the fact that it was shot so many years ago it's coming out now and it was originally going to come out in 2021 so it's just the weirdest thing you know and it exists in this kind of weird little space it's like there's a really weird situation where you watch Hamilton and you recognize people like say David Diggs uh, playing Lafayette and playing say Jefferson or 
you recognize uh, Anthony Ramos, who's, who's obviously playing young Philip um, Hamilton as well. And like you recognize them from roles that they got off the back of Hamilton. So Ramos in, say, A Star is Born, for example, or leading in in kind of In the Heights or David Diggs, who kind of, you know, did Wonder, for example, and is leading in Snowpiercer at the moment. And it's kind of weird to have that kind of like retroactive recognition where it's like or even like Jonathan Groff, who obviously he had done Frozen beforehand, but that was a voice role. But he'd done Mindhunter kind of since on Netflix. And it's like, actually, I recognize half of the cast of this Broadway musical because they all kind of led these kind of big, bombastic kind of pop culture projects since. I find that fascinating. I find that kind of like, again, in the terms of that like pop culture kind of like time skip, the idea that it exists in the gulf between those two, that like David Diggs was, you know, an actor who was just starting out on Broadway when he filmed this and now has written and directed like Blindspotting, for example. Was, um, was Mindhunter also, did it also start as a musical? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> silence the musical it did not actually uh, strangely enough but I, I do i do find that that kind of interesting as well that the kind of sense of it and again the sense in which i think kind of d alluded to it there the sense in which it has been kind of appropriated since and i mean like we look at things like say we talked about knives out earlier in the year in the podcast and that like quotes hamilton immigrants they get the job done I saw it at the public twice, for example. But the idea that those lines are kind of more charged now in the context of, say, the Trump administration than they would have been when this play was being performed on Broadway. You know, Immigrants We Get the Job Done with a high five from Lafayette to Hamilton, you know, was originally just like a jokey, look how far we've come line. And now watching it in 2020, it, it feels like a much more profound statement, even though obviously that was never in the context when it was written. And again, Manuel Miranda, to, to his credit, Lin-Manuel Miranda has actually acknowledged that pretty much all criticism that has been made of, of kind of Hamilton is valid. Um, he's, he's kind of, he's been very great. He's been very he's gracious. Been like no, he's like this He's like that. No, let let no opportunity to say sorry. <laughs> Get wasted. by. Yeah. Well, no, um, and again, to be fair, like he, he's, he's acknowledged that, you know, some parts of it haven't maybe aged particularly well, like the, the, the erasure of slavery, for example. Although, again, to be fair to him, what he's also said is that, like, his original cut of the musical was like three hours, three and a half hours. And in fact, he actually had to cut lots of material from it. So, for example, there was an entire musical number around slavery, which we'll include in the show notes um, on YouTube, which would have been I think parliamentary rap battle number three, which would have been a much greater sort of much more in-depth discussion of the legacy of slavery, for my, example. My one problem with with that potential version of the play is that slavery is it, like seems like a fairly simple debate to 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 us now. The the thing with the debates that they had in uh, as rap battles in Hamilton was that I always thought like. Jefferson's rap was really good. <laughs> like if if this was like if this was um if this was like uh MTV's Wild and Out or something like that, I'd kind of want to give it to Jefferson. <laughs> like not necessarily the strength of his arguments, but uh, just the style of his yeah, kind of rap. It's like in in Devil Went Down to Georgia. The Devil's violin playing is always much better. Um uh yeah, so um Yeah. 
And I, I can understand why they didn't touch that as well. And again, like, it's amazing how much work uh, Miranda put into this because he actually, like, he cut an entire musical number around, say, the Whiskey Rebellion, for example, uh, which would have had a nice reprise of you were outgunned, you were outmanned, outschemed and outplanned, which would have been illustrated kind of the this kind of central theme of the musical being this kind of idea of it's easier to rebel than it is to govern or it's easier to die than it is to live or it's, you know, easier to kind of be a hero than it is to be a functioning member of government. Um, and he kind of, like, all this stuff was there, but it ended up being cut because there was just so much that had to be kind of crammed into the show. It's it's remarkable how dense Hamilton is. Like, and you mentioned this idea of exposition, but the idea of just how carefully researched it is and how incredibly dense the lyrics are in terms of what they're referencing and how much history it covers. The point where, you know, Sam Adams doesn't appear on screen or doesn't appear on stage, despite the fact that from the way that other characters talk about him, you can totally imagine him still being played by Paul Giamatti. Speaking of um, um, its dense density, that is actually one of the struggles that I had with it. There is just so much content. There's so much dialogue in terms of, you know, the fact that half of it is wrapped as well. And then it just goes through this period of history and this man's life, like just so quickly that I actually found, I'll, I'll, I'll admit this readily, though it's a tad embarrassing, but I actually had to pull out the Wikipedia summary of it. <laughs> and what they do, it's actually quite handy if you look it up. What they do is they have like a line or two and then they have like the song it's referring to in brackets so that you can follow the plot according to like the songs they're currently singing. So that was super handy for me and absolutely necessary. <laughs> and I know for a fact it's not just me because when I was looking at this on IMDb, one of the user reviews said, thank God for that Wikipedia summary and for subtitles and for the pause option. So it's not just me. Hamilton is confusing. There's a lot going on in it, especially if you yeah. don't know that American history, like, you know. The, the, these, yeah, we these, are an Irish podcast. These big emotional beats like his his brother committing suicide just happened in our cousin. Yeah. Our cousin, was it? Yeah, they just go yeah. like like. It's maybe covered in about one and a half seconds where, yeah, where it just kind of yeah. um, keeps uh, keeps going because they have to tell you like everything that's, so that's covered more. in Ron Chernow's like, have you seen how <laughs> thick that book is? <laughs> yeah. You know that Ron Chernow gets 1% of the profits for this, actually. Good. Um, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they've used enough more. of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea that like uh, Miranda's like, I got to get this. I got to get my value for money on this. We got to condense as much as possible. But yeah, things like, say, for example, um, how much depth it goes into in terms of explaining the setup of the duel that his son fights. And while completely glossing over the fact that he also had a daughter. Like, I think that the son mentions that he has a sister yeah. at one point, And then that's it's never mentioned again afterwards. Um, it's it's incredibly kind He's, of. I, I, he says, I would I have a sister and I would also like a brother. And I feel like. Hamilton is like I would also like if you had a brother <laughs> because then I would have a spare and, how, yeah, and then they develop exactly. a sizable amount of time to this idea that um whatchamacallit Angelica was also in love with him when that was completely fictionalized <laughs> so there you go <laughs> yeah. well I mean you know that's one of the things about Lin-Manuel Miranda getting to write his own musical otherwise <laughs> he wouldn't get to have several women on stage competing for his attention and you have Peggy I'm playing another role like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And again, 
the, the kind of weird subtext of that as well. Now, to be fair, some I, I really like, again, this is one of the things that we point out about the benefits of doing this as a staged musical, is doing it like doing recreating the musical rather than making it as a film, is that you get little touches like, say, David Diggs um, playing both Lafayette and Jefferson. And in that, then allowing for a contrast between the two roles, because Lafayette is a Frenchman who fought for America and then goes home. And then you have Jefferson, who kind of spent the revolution in France coming back over and then you know not fighting or trying to fight for the french but not really managing to so you have these kind of again the the level of kind of density there going on as well like i mean you know i think that you know we we it is perfectly fair to criticize i think hamilton is a rare work of art that is big enough that you know most of what you can say critically about it is fair but most of what you can say in a few praise about it is also fair i think that it, it's remarkable in that sense where it you know it does gloss over things like say slavery or things like the less palatable views of alexander hamilton but at the same time it still manages to contain an extraordinary amount of information it's incredibly dense um and i mean again like the fact that you can dig in and you can find all these references things like for example most of the lyrics of you'll be back um the the song sung by king george the third came from an actual parliamentary address by king george uh, on announcement of american independence just obviously restructured and a few words changed for the purpose of rhyming by the way the hamilton soundtrack jumped 1000% in streams um, after the release of the movie. The most popular songs on the Hamilton soundtrack on streaming are King George's musical numbers, uh, particularly in America, which is fascinating. I find that absolutely fascinating. They were the highest charting uh, entries. Well, they are um, terrific. On... Could it also be to do with Jonathan Groff, I'd wonder? Yes, possibly. And I think it's also perhaps the fact that they are... They exist in contrast to the rest of the show. And I think, again, this is one of the, the density of, like, Hamilton, where Miranda has done so much work in terms of what he's doing. So all the characters have particular styles and rhythms and are inspired by particular types of lyricists. So, for example, George Washington is inspired by both Common and John Legend. And you have this weird situation where, and again, this is one of those, like, nice 2020 kind of metafictional mixing kind of things going on. Like, the entire play takes place on a giant turntable, which I quite like. But you have the idea that, like, George Washington was inspired by the rap styles of, say, Common um, and John Legend. But then we, at the end of we guess like the um there did 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 there were, I I felt like there were there were, at times Burr had a sort of a yay feel to to or was that just my imagination did the some 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 of the delivery I really did did somebody 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 I particularly enjoyed was Hercules Mulligan as well. Uh, <laughs> well, Hercules Mulligan was based on. Um, it isn't. Is it Buster Rhymes? Who says brap? But and again, Hercules Mulligan is one of those benefits of the erasure of slavery because you know his big song number about how he had spies and he managed to like get information from the British and how he used that information to help the revolution. Guess who his spies were? They were his slaves, uh. um, which Hanley gets nicely glossed over. Um, but apparently, yes, apparently Lin-Manuel Miranda saw the name Hercules um, and was like, yep, you're going in the musical. Um, it's in the musical. That was a good we decision. He, it he, was was, a very... he was playing James Madison as well. Um, he was indeed. 
And again, that nice sort of doubling that you have there as well. But in terms of, say, musical style, for example, like um, Hamilton himself is modeled on Eminem. And you can actually trace that if you look at, say, that opening musical number where they're talking about Hamilton. The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter by 14. They placed him in charge of a trading charge. You can tell that that's almost kind of the eight mile sort of lose yourself rhythm. It's the, you know, the uh... God only knows he's grown father from home, he's no father. He goes home and barely knows his own daughter. The whole thing knows cause here goes the cold water. The fools don't want him no more, he's cold product. To get back to what I was saying there, the weird situation where you have like George Washington written as Common and John Legend. And then you have the Hamilton mixtape, which is released at the end of 2016 with famous artists covering or putting their own spin on songs from Hamilton. And you have the George Washington songs performed by Common and John Legend. And you have even things like, say, for example, the song Helpless, which was written in the style of Ashente and Ja Rule, which is performed on the soundtrack by Ashente and Ja, and ja Rule, which is, is fascinating. So you have this kind of level of layers going on in the way that it's constructed, which I find amazing, where it almost seems like the Hamilton, the musical as written by Lin-Manuel Miranda is kind of riffing on something that it almost like retroactively wills into existence where you have it like a fantasy casting of it or a fantasy writing of it or a fantasy kind of voices or styling of it that through the show's own success ends up manifesting on reality. I find that again, one of those nice paradoxes of like, you know, this being a movie that was filmed in 2016 and released in 2020 and somehow manages to be both of those at the same time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but I find that kind of that contrast and that kind of like that ability to be two things at the same time. Absolutely amazing and fascinating. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so King George, King George, King George the third is the most popular um, on the soundtrack. And it's his songs are obviously inspired by um, the monkeys. Obviously, Daydream Believer is a big influence on them as well. But the British bands and apparently Lin-Manuel Miranda had been inspired to write a breakup song from the perspective of King George the third. After going out drinking with Hugh Laurie, um, after they finished working on House together, um, and basically Hugh Laurie, uh, he said, I want to write a breakup song between Britain and America. And it was Hugh Laurie who said, you'll be back. And Miranda was like, yep, I can turn that into a song. Um, and that's yeah, apparently what he did. I mean, it's it's like um, America downloading all of those like kind of King George um, songs. It's, uh, it's like one of the... the it's like America looking up its ex on Facebook or something like that. <laughs> Seeing it's, how she's yeah. doing. Yeah, um, they're, and they're so, they're so big into the royals as well, aren't they? They are, yeah. The royal wedding was a huge deal over in the States as well. I mean, I think of that line from The Simpsons where you say you want a democracy, but what you really want is a strong-armed Republican <laughs> to rule you like a king. Um, but you do have that kind of like wonderful juxtaposition there. And again, the idea that, you know, also, the fact that his songs are perhaps the most poppy and traditional true, set. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, by the way, I went um, silent there, Darren. I was just genuinely just absorbing everything you were saying there because I, I had no <laughs> idea about that whole thing about their songs being based on actual like rappers and musicians and artists. I thought that that was absolutely fascinating. I have to like look it up now and put them all together. And even when you were saying about like Hamilton being based off Eminem, I was like, I, I actually did genuinely feel that at time, uh, like that at times. I was like, this all, this really has the rhythm of an Eminem song. So I just think that that's really fascinating. Um, but like, it is interesting what you're saying about the songs that are coming out on top, because 
a lot of the people who I've talked to who've like seen Hamilton or listened to the soundtrack or whatever and you ask a favorite song and I think that the cast have been kind of famous for saying this as well is that people keep on changing their minds about what's their favorite song because they're all just so good and well-written and brilliant and just a couple I'd like to give a shout out to because I know you were mentioning earlier, uh, Darren, about the juxtapositions between a few of the songs. Like you've got Aaron Burr with his whole idea of wait for it versus the song that kind of, um, you know, characterizes Hamilton is the song My Shot. The idea of I have to go for this now. I have to seize this moment. I'm not going to let it slip by. And then you have that as well with the um, Schuyler sisters. I think that Philippa Sue and Renee Elise Goldberry, who we haven't really mentioned yet, but I think that they're both just absolutely phenomenal as Eliza and Angelica just two absolutely beautiful brilliant performances and it's interesting that both of them are kind of personified by their songs that follow one after the other in act one in helpless and uh, satisfied because you've got Eliza who's helpless who kind of falls head over heel for Hamilton and ends up kind of being you know fooled by him and kind of publicly shamed through that affair or whatever and then you've got um, you know Angelica singing satisfied that she kind of just accepts the fact that she cannot be with Hamilton because her sister is in love with him and she's kind of always talking about Hamilton being satisfied but really it's kind of a song about her as well and that she's satisfied with her life and with her status the fact that she has to you know marry wealthy for the sake of her family and everything and then another number that I absolutely adore um, which is sung by um, Eliza played by Philippa Sue in the second act is Burn um, which Lin-Manuel Miranda says that he actually used to stand in the wings every time she used to sing that song because he was absolutely just blown away by her performance in it and um, a little fun fact when she is burning those letters they actually contain words on them that were the letters that um, Eliza and Hamilton exchanged with one another and it was also made on this special uh, paper that would burn extra fast so that's why it burns so fast on stage Ooh. obviously you have to do that kind of stuff in theatre productions <laughs> health and safety considerations you know so um, yeah I just that's... thought that was interesting that's why I was actually wondering because I, 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 I occasionally set fire to things <laughs> and you have to you, you have to hold it the right way the, like, like you have to hold it down so that the flame travels up the envelope whereas what they're doing is like kind of rather theatrically kind of holding the the envelope pointing upwards with the flame so coming the flame out at the high. top of it yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah I'm, 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 I'm glad to know that there was some basis to uh, my, no. my kind of like envelope uh, thoughts. Yeah. The... Uh, what I did find interesting, actually, and this kind of this is this is one of the things that I find a fascinating theme of the play, because, again, it's all very metatextual. It's all very kind of like pointed in on itself. And this idea of we kind of we alluded to it already with the idea of kind of reclaiming history and the idea of recasting, say, the founding fathers as these diverse actors. I think the only white member of the primary cast is Jonathan Groff as King George III, which is, again, a very conscious choice. But what I find interesting is the emphasis that the play places on. And again, this is the idea where you have. The cleverness of Manuel's structuring, as Lynn Manuel Miranda's structuring, is the idea that it is both personal and very character driven, but also manages to be like both polit both political and philosophical at the same time. So you have things like, for example, 
um, you know, you mentioned Burn, which is a fantastic song, which is incredibly personal. It's the story of her coming to terms with the affair. But you also have that playing into the theme of the play, which is this idea of who gets to write history, which is also very much a part of, say, um, you know, behind closed doors or sort of in the room, the, the earlier song from Burr, which is the idea that, like, history exists in these lacunas, that there's these spaces that exist that cannot be filled, that we cannot possibly know as an audience or as observers. And the idea that, you know, that privacy, whether or not that privacy is something that, say, historical characters deserve, in the case of Byrne, where she's very much, she wants that privacy. She wants the privacy that she was denied by the Reynolds pamphlet. She burns the letters in order to preserve some of that, for example. Uh, But you have, like, you know, the idea that at the same time, the idea that maybe that negative space allows us to write in what we want. And what we write into that negative space says a lot about us as a culture or as a society. Like what we choose to populate in these kind of mythic stories is as much. And again, this is something I think Dee mentioned at the start. You know, it's a story about America's history, but it's also about America's present. It's the idea that how we tell these stories and where we place the emphasis in these stories. And again, I think Dee mentioned, we, you're right, we have given the, the female characters perhaps a bit of a short shift in this, but the idea, the emphasis that it places on those characters and things like, for example, you know, giving the opening sort of Destiny's Child number to, you know, to the kind of women characters, to, to Angelica and to Peggy and to Eliza, where it's like, you know, I'm going to get him to include women. in. You know, we, we think all men are created equal. I'm going to tell Thomas Jefferson to add women to the sequel and stuff like that. And acknowledging that giving those voices is important and something that, you know, the act of remembering is not an apolitical act. The act of how we choose to view the past is not something that exists in a vacuum because we cannot literally look through a window and see the past as it was. So we have to, by nature, populate some of the gaps in the past with, you know, ideas that we project onto them. I think that one of the interesting, clever things about Hamilton is how you see that in debates around the musical itself and also arguably, again, in that debate over statues. Because you have that debate over statues, which is the idea of like, are we preserving history? Or are we destroying his- history by taking it down? And the argument is no, history isn't a statue. History is something in a museum or a book. When you put something in a statue, you are consciously celebrating it. So the idea that with Hamilton, you know, we are celebrating a version of history. Um, and what we choose to celebrate in that is interesting. Because, you know, the negative space created by people like Eliza Burning or the discussions that are held in the room that Burr isn't part of, that's a part of history. And how we choose to interpret that says as much about us as it does about that, perhaps. And the, I, I, I guess it's, it, it's, it's the kind of naive idea that history itself before, say, like the story of Alexander Hamilton was somehow like uh, neutral. You know, yeah. and and, yeah. and and that and that adapting it um as a uh, as a stage play is somehow kind of um corrupting it by pointing it in some direction is yeah. is is similar to like the ideas about the um about taking down statues as in like yeah. this is just history. Um, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> there's like nothing political this, statement there to be yeah, made at all. No, it's not as if yeah. these statues were erected during exactly. the civil rights era. Why for are you example. making this statue political? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of the oh. the the only its erection idea was. About it's standing it. isn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The fact that yeah. it's there is not political. So, um, like the story, the story of Alexander Hamilton is inherently political because it takes place in a political sphere, and it's all to do with politics. So to yeah. to you can't you can't politicize that. 
by making a play yeah. out of it because it's 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 already political. Um, yeah. It, it, sorry, the the point I'm making is is that it's not really a fair criticism. I don't think. Yeah. No, I, I find it. I find it fascinating. I find like again the level at which the play is aware of what it's doing and almost yeah. engaged in the discussion of what it's doing, which is quite clever as well. And again, that speaks to the kind of the the paradox around it. Like, there's so much contradictory about the play that I think is is fascinating because there's so much to kind of like discuss and talk about. Like things like it's been pointed out the fact that you know Hamilton is arguably reclaiming this history, you know, for people who haven't traditionally seen themselves in history books, you know, uh, people of color, for example, uh, women, minorities, that sort of thing. But the irony is that like, while it was on stage on Broadway, while you were charging, you know, $1,100 a night to see this show, um, you know, it wasn't really being presented for people of color or for marginalized communities because it was primarily white audiences who could afford to go to the theater and see it that were being treated to it. And again, to be fair to Miranda, he made a point to make it available to students at a discount rate. You have the Ham for Ham um, events where he would raffle off tickets for every show. And for the people who lost and came to those events, they'd actually perform a musical number from the show as well. So, I'm, you know, I mean, again, I'm not blaming Miranda for this. I'm just stating this is how it is. But you have the paradox of that being the case, but also the idea that, you know, ironically, perhaps the best thing that Hamilton did for its my, for its audience or for its cast or for people of color or even for like marginalized groups in general is the idea that like it managed to get a share of the profits for the original cast. This is the most notable thing about Hamilton in terms of profits is that the original cast, everybody in that original cast uh, gets split 1% of all profits from the play from now until the end of time. And that's that's kind of interesting in terms of like literally divvying up power, literally kind of like taking a little bit of the money that, you know, traditionally flowed upwards from rich white people to rich white people who funded theater and actually managing to give it to the people who are actually creating art and actually rewarding them for it. I find that kind of I find that interesting, you know, that even on a small level. You can see this idea of kind of Hamilton managing to be both things, managing to be, you know, this idea of a diverse history, you know, a diverse presentation of history that in theatre had remained, you know, largely out of the reach of minority audiences, but then managing to take that money and funnel it back towards the performers who are people of colour. And now on Disney Plus, making it available to absolutely everybody who can afford the $8 a month to watch it on Disney Plus and make it freely available. I find Why are that... Are speaking in dollars, by the way? I've Fair been point. wondering that the whole time. Kind of <laughs> but... like, did you spend dollars when you were getting Disney Plus? Like, how did that happen? That, that's um... fair. That's fair. Um, but again, I, I just, I find all these kind of contradictions within it interesting, where you have like there's so much like you have that you have the object you have the criticism of the object and then you have the meta criticism of the criticism of the object being folded into itself where it ends up as this kind of weird mobius strip of pop culture uh which i find kind of amazing to kind of think about and pick at i find like that level of kind of complexity is fascinating I, I, about it i find it, it, it's uh it's it's it it it's crazy how uh how stupid uh jewels were <laughs> like and that whole idea and that 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 it that it kind of um, like I, because I realized the the jewels in this um, in this play are very um, that um, kind of tragic, but they're so stupid, you know. The 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 like like you you want to sort of laugh, 
at at um at these um like idiots kind of you know first of all like go, going along with this whole thing and then like kind of you know deciding like everything will be okay because I'll just shoot in the air um but fun they, fact they, actually fun bit of... of historical trivia for you here Andrew and you'll appreciate yeah. this I think um if you wanted to end a duel without shooting the other person, you did not fire your gun into the air. You pointed it at the ground and shot it at the ground. Because in order to raise your gun into the air, you have to level it at the person or point it in the general direction of the person first as part of the arc, which makes it fair for them to shoot you. It's very hard to think, oh, will I wait for this person to continue the upward swing of their arm and see if they want to fire into the air or will I just shoot them now? So traditionally, if you wanted to end a duel without shooting somebody, you pointed your gun at the ground and shot into the ground, not the sky. We 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 learned that watching Barry Lyndon. We did, but that didn't end well there either. (laughs) No, it didn't. Yeah, like the lesson is that the like duels are one of those really stupid things that we've like kind of consigned to history, along with like you know powdered wigs and. I mean, there's lots of examples of things that we should never have gotten rid of and things that we have now that are stupid, like trousers, for example. I think now now that everybody's working from home and doing like kind of, um, um, yeah, the, uh, anyway, sorry. I love I love Andrew's vision of a utopian trouserless future, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what the national dress of Ireland used to be kilts, like, um, um, you know, the... Anyway, sorry. I feel, um, I feel like trousers were, were a step behind, backwards. Um, but Dee, sorry, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already? Any particular moments or particular songs or things jumping out at you? Um, not, well, we'll see. You could almost make a whole podcast just based on the songs. That's the thing. There are so many. <laughs> and like we haven't talked about It's Quiet Uptown, which I think is um, a beautiful song. Um, when Eliza and Hamilton are in mourning for their son, for example, and then there was the cabinet meeting, rap battles, which we just kind of touched on. So yeah, there, we could we we'd be here all day if we were really talking about all the songs. But I think that we've covered a lot of them there. Um, I suppose the only last thing I'd kind of add is, see, having talked about how it's not a movie at the start, and then progressing into how great it is, and then talking about all its complexities there i feel that that was kind of the trajectory of our discussion there i feel kind of bad for giving it such a hard time for not being a movie (laughs) at the start i just go back to that sense of guilt um because we did we did kind of touch on this idea and this is how it has been promoted is the idea that it is this love letter to the theater to broadway to musicals um in this pandemic when we probably won't have access to them possibly until the end of the year and these performers aren't able to express their art so you could be cynical but I do think that it does kind of stand I I do think that it holds up as a love letter to the theatre and that it's kind of beautiful in that way and that it's something that's very special and I think that you know if if the theatres don't open till the end of 2020 who knows like this could be kind of seen by even more people it could be revisited again and again and it'll be given even more awards i'm sure it'll come out <laughs> doing very well at the <laughs> end emmys and stuff like that who knows maybe the oscars I'll... will reconsider it and maybe it will just stick in that place just to bring it the whole way around again maybe it will stick in that place of the top 250 on imdb just because <laughs> it is such a special <laughs> tribute just not to the art of film <laughs> 
Yeah. It's... Well, I mean, actually, what's what's interesting though, and again, uh, just Disney have said that despite like the Oscars decision, they're going to submit it to all the Guild Awards. So like the Producers Guild, the Actors Guild, and stuff like that as well, because um, they really, really want that. Apparently, the Oscars um gave, have like awarded like statues to like Laurence Olivier got an Oscar nomination for playing Othello at the National Theatre, to pick an example in the past. Um, but actually what I found interesting that you mentioned there, just in terms of like the idea of the film and theater and not to argue that it is a film, because I think we've settled very much that it is not a film, <laughs> but in terms of like its filmic elements, what I found interesting, and again, I haven't seen the stage play, but reading and talking to people who have seen the stage play, um, what they noted that one of the interesting things about the version that's released on Disney Plus is two things. First of all, is that when they saw it on the stage, they noticed that they were much more interested in the political stuff than the personal stuff. Um, and they found that actually bringing the camera in closer to the actors, and particularly like the musical numbers that where the camera is close to the characters are the personal numbers, the ones around like the death of family members and stuff like that. That allowed them to get more involved in the emotional kind of plotting of the film rather than the political stuff. Um, and they also noted that like an interesting shift took place where... Several people who saw the play noted that, like, when they saw it on stage, their sympathy perhaps glided a little bit more to Leslie Odom Jr.'s Aaron Burr. Um, and again, to give Burr credit for all the, like, stage play and musical presents Burr as a man without any principles whatsoever. It's known that Burr was one of the most effective politicians of the early kind of post-revolutionary era, in large part because he was pragmatic and willing to work with people no matter their political beliefs in order to get the job done. But they noted that, like, when they saw it on stage at a distance, um, they their sympathies tended to align more with Burr. But through the simple act of, like, having close-ups of, like, Hamilton and then manuel Miranda's face. And again, I agree, he is not a great actor, um, particularly having seen him in Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, but I do think that, like, he is a presence. And I think that the camera kind of loves him a little bit. And I think he very much loves the camera. And I think that comes across quite well. So I think that you can kind of see people have talked about how their sympathies kind of they, they felt they felt much more in line with Hamilton watching the movie than they did watching the stage play. And I find that kind of interesting in terms of how even something that is not a movie still changes the grammar of what you're watching or kind of the tone yeah. or the, the see just know? to add to that and sorry i'm kind of being like devil's advocate here but i still felt that even in terms of those close-ups and maybe this is from the experience of someone watching it in the theater versus you know, like somebody watching it on their tv at home but i felt that for those more romantic bits for those more personal scenes it wasn't really getting kind of close or intimate enough that yeah. it still had that right. habit of defaulting to the medium shot as someone yeah. who's not that experienced in film would tend to do and then when it went into the kind of wider stuff when you had like the scenes that were more orientated around action around the stage or you know choreography and stuff like that that because of the way it was cutting it was missing parts and I was like I just wish it would yeah. zoom out so I could see more <laughs> so I still I'm sorry I still felt like it fell short as a movie but that is interesting oh. how those two experiences kind of um kind of change that relationship to the oh, characters to, to be to be clear i'm not making it's a movie argument late in the podcast Aaron makes a very late swing uh, this isn't a parlamentary rap battle d like yeah um, i think i think kayla's kayla's talked about how um sorry i think kayla's talked about how like even when they were shooting those close-ups i think you're entirely right by the way when they shoot those close-ups those medium shots he would still, and again, this is one of the things where it's like you can tell that he's a theater director, not a, or wasn't at the time, a kind of a film or television director. 
he would say, well, I have to actually have the cameraman choreograph to move in rhythm with the dancers around him. And you want to just grab him and say, no, you're directing a movie. Just don't have dancers dancing out of sight of the camera and you'll be fine. Um, but there is kind of like, that's one of the things that you yeah. notice when you're yeah. watching it is the camera's... He, he's trying to do a close-up, but the stage is rotating away from the cameraman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If only I had control of this. If, if I only stop this... that rotating <laughs> stage. Yeah. But I don't have that power. Um, <laughs> the, the, and I need to... Yeah, but it's it's kind of... Uh, like, the strength of this is as a piece of, of, of theatre that you get to watch at home. And it, be, it being kind of... Um, Kind of as as close to being that and working on home media um, yeah. as as it could be, um, and the the um, which is so important now because as 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 Dee says we we mightn't get to see theatre this year. I mean the 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 government have said that they don't recommend we go to watch theatre, but if we do. There's a list of plays that we can go see, um, so yeah, the, um, which which is helpful. Um, anyway. Very quickly, actually, in terms of kind of density of references, I kind of adore. And again, this is the fact that it is kind of a hip hop sort of musical, and it is very much inspired by that style of music. And that style of music is very much kind of like a magpie thing, where you draw in influences from other sources. And the idea that you know, outside of say, I think it's a Jay Z's Hard Knock Life. This idea of bringing two classic American art forms, the big grand Broadway musical and the kind of hip hop together and making them work. I love that the play, that the, the film or the play or whatever the hell this is uh, manages to kind of like somehow draw in references to like the Pirates of Penzance when Washington says he is the very model of a modern major general, uh, but can then like casually uh, drop in kind of other references to things like the Ten Crack Commandments by Biggie Smalls as well. Um, and even again, the fact that, you know, it's influenced by the musical 1776 and the fact that I think Lin-Manuel Miranda himself has actually said that when he was writing John Adams, um, he wrote him as if he was being played by Paul Giamatti, even though he never appears on stage whatsoever. I think the fact that it manages to be both an artifact of American history and also this huge compendium of kind of so much surrounding American pop culture and then kind of synthesizes all of that into a monument of pop culture itself is fascinating. It's it's this wonderful kind of, again, this very American, you know, you, you talk about America as this idea of a kind of a melting pop culture, this idea of kind of like people who come from different backgrounds kind of coming together and figuring out and how to make things each work. And hating each other. Yes, and hating each other. Um, but you have like Hamilton is almost the best version of that, where you have these like disparate elements of pop culture that should not fit together in any way, shape or form, but manage to synthesize into, and again, the absurdity of the situation. I think Barack Obama has said that Hamilton is the only thing that he and Dick Cheney agree on. Um, which is quite, <laughs> quite something, I have to say. Um, all right, then. I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else that we want to talk about, anything that we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at people. Uh, I think that does it for me, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah I, I won't be goaded back into the is it a movie or not debate anymore, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Despite my best efforts. I've said correspondence back and forth challenging you, you to can't, a duel, but it's just... <laughs> You can't defeat Darren at a podcast duel because he'll just add stuff in and post. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what we've learned. Um, 
But yes, I also yes, um, Thomas Jefferson's fashion again. David Diggs was the was the breakout for me here. I actually thought David Diggs was probably the standout performer of the set for me. Um, I was really kind of blown off my my kind of blown out of my seat by him. All right then. So uh, what we normally do at the end of the podcast, D, is we ask um, our guests to recommend something for listeners. So something you're enjoying at the moment, something that's bringing you joy in the world. It'd be something related to the discussion we've just had. It'd be something entirely unrelated. Just something that you are enjoying and you think that listeners might enjoy for themselves. So to give you a moment to think about that, I'm going to ask Andrew, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, two things that occurred to me. Uh, one is I haven't read the Ron Chernow uh, book on Hamilton, but I have read the Doris Kern Goodwin uh, book, uh, Team of Rivals, which I think was, it, it was actually one of Obama's um, uh, uh, favorite books uh, that came out during his, his presidency it covers the um, the life and death of 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 Lincoln. It was it was adapted into uh, into the, the, yeah. the Steven Spielberg. But film. I I think the Steven Spielberg movie is a bit more kind of focused, um, yeah. as as in it it's 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 very much kind of. Um, it doesn't quite have the lyrical density of say a Lin Manuel no, Miranda no, no. musical it's, version. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. It doesn't try to get too much in. Yeah. So um, I, I I enjoyed reading that. Um, another thing that relates both to the uh, America's obsession with the British royal family and um, obliquely to um, Broadway is um, Oh Hello, um, the um, John Mulaney and um, Nick Kroll, Nick Kroll um, uh, Broadway. Um, uh, production they 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 had they released a podcast uh called oh hello the the podcast and it's about um the death of uh princess diana and then talking about conspiracy theories in relation to it it's in very bad taste and it's very funny um so yes <laughs> um check uh check that out if if that's your thing uh and d um, my things aren't to do with Hamilton at all. I hope that's okay. They're just, <laughs> um, okay. They're, yeah. they're just, they're just things. The listeners have had like an hour and 40 minutes of talking about Hamilton. Yeah, I think I, they, can, they can do with a break. One, one time I recommended yogurt with peanut butter. <laughs> 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 so. It was very relevant to the discussion we were having. Um, but yes, anything, anything at all. Okay. Um, well, I'm currently reading where the crow dads sing. Um, I had to buy it because it was just popping on just about everyone's Instagram. Um, I'd known it was a bestseller in the US uh, last year. So I was really intrigued to buy it and read it. And I think I've got about 40 pages left now. So like after this podcast, probably going to go finish it. <laughs> but really, really enjoying it. It's it's the book everyone's talking about. So if if you want to kind of obliquely related to that, <laughs> Hamilton is zeitgeist. This is zeitgeist. So <laughs> in terms of if you want to keep up with every the, the stuff that everyone's talking about. And then um, I look forward to uh, to a reading of that ending up making the 250 in about three years. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I read just today that they're adapting it into a movie and Reese Witherspoon's producing it. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you don't, you don't have to read the book, Darren. Darren is too busy writing a book. To, to, yeah. 
Um, I think Andrew's description of me is somebody who has written more books than he's read, I think, which no, I'm not sure whether that's, that's a compliment that, or an insult. That, um, that's not fair. I mean, comic books are books too. Hi, uh, oh, sorry, um, sorry. All right. In terms of quick recommendations for myself, again, um, we mentioned earlier the kind of the streaming boom that's happening during the summer and the idea that, you know, like we've had big streaming releases and there's been a lot of really great movies released that we haven't had a chance to kind of discuss and recommend. So films like, say, The Assistant, which I thought was amazing, is available to stream now and would wholeheartedly recommend. Things like The Five Bloods on Netflix uh, from Spike Lee, which is phenomenal and well worth seeking out. Or even like I, I quite liked Greyhound, uh, which is on Apple TV as well. Um, and my dad loved it. Um, which is great. I think that's the I think that's the target market that they're really working for there. Yeah, it's um, Tom Hanks in a World War Two movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I quite yeah. enjoyed Greyhound as well. And what's nice about it is it's just an hour and a half long. You just don't get yes. those kind of tight movies anymore. Um, it's it's a great kind of thriller as well. You know, I really yeah, like it's that really one. tight and really claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, again, it feels like it's, you know, the set the set of Hamilton is probably bigger than the set for Greyhound, <laughs> uh, which is quite impressive. Um, and the cast is bigger as well. And then also that's the final one I recommend. I really like Palm Springs, which is available on Hulu right now. I had a lot of fun with that. It's basically Groundhog Day, but for millennials. Um, so I really, really liked it. Uh, there's a lot more lazing around and feeling like the world has let you down. Um, which is you know, very millennial as it were and then finally so before we wrap up uh, D if people are looking for a bit more D in their lives where can they find you where are you online um, yeah I am on Twitter is probably the best place to find me I'm at oh gosh I forgot my own handle it's either at D Malumby or at <laughs> Deirdre Malumby but I'm pretty sure it's at Deirdre Malumby and my name is D Malumby so that's D-E-I-R-D-R-E-M-O-L-U-M-B-Y um, or you can find me just writing up movie reviews movie news Netflix reviews, stuff like that on entertainment.ie. Perfect. And we'll include all that in the show note as well, actually. So we will check what your Twitter handle actually is. (laughs) Um, because we have proper research our interns are great on this podcast um, and then Andrew um, actually yes we can't find you online so you no, can find you the podcast you can add me on LinkedIn like <laughs> looking for new opportunities yeah if you really want to um, and then you can follow the podcast at, at the 250 we're available on Stitcher on SoundCloud wherever good podcasts are sold because this was a new entry we kind of preempted the discussion that we were going to have this week so I think you know Hamilton has been the appropriate culmination of a season of American classics on the podcast covering movies like 12 Angry Men, like Sunset Boulevard, like The Truman Show. And I'm hoping it will continue into next week when the wonderful Jen Gannon and fantastic Louise Bruton will be joining us for a discussion of that misunderstood American classic, Martin Brest Geely. We hope you'll join us then. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you Um, so much, Dave. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. My video turned off at some point.